Welcome to episode 107 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time, and I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at melanieavalonscloset.com. That's melanieavalonscloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's melanieavalonscloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 107 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. I am recording from the beach. Look at you. I know. Is it a condo? Yeah, it is. And here's what's funny. At any time, you might hear someone like running by in the hall. They could be like children running. (laughs) 
car. So if you hear weird noises, that's what it is. It's funny. So I'm apartment hunting right now. And I learned yesterday the official definition between condo and apartment. That's why I asked about the condo. Oh, yeah. Do you know what the difference is? Well, a condo is owned and an apartment is rented. And you can rent a condo from the owner, but that's the main difference. Oh, that's not what they said. What did they tell you? Because that's... They said it has to do with the level of thickness between the walls. Okay, no. I'm sorry they are wrong. (laughs) Maybe there are like condo building and apartment building standards, but a condo, it's owned by people own their individual units and there's a homeowners association that, you know, like a, like the condo board, but condos are owned by individuals. I feel like if we went out on the street and asked random people, what's the difference between a condo and apartment, we would get all different answers. Well, from a real estate side of things, that's the difference. Okay. So I have no idea. You know, like if you go rent an apartment from like an apartment complex, it's owned by that apartment complex. Okay. And like by the the management company manages it for whoever owns it. But like here, every single unit is owned by someone else. It's a condominium. And then there's also to throw a wrinkle in it in New York City, they have something called a co-op, which is like a condo, but not exactly. For co-ops, I think of like farming. Yeah, it's not that. (laughs) It's not the same thing. It's like a condo, but there are different rules about it. Like, but they have boards and they have to approve you and things like that. Well, are you enjoying your time at your condo? I really am. Every morning I go walk on the beach and it's just beautiful. I'm here by myself for five nights, which felt really weird because I've never gone anywhere by myself like this. But I'm like, you know what? It's our second home. I'm not on vacation by myself. I'm at my second home by myself. That felt less weird. Exactly. Yeah, I've been getting everything just like we want it because my older son, Cal, is graduating from Georgia Tech in just over a week and we'll be there for that. And then he and I are coming to the beach just for a few days, just the two of us. Tell him hi. I will. I love him. He's awesome. Tell him I love all the work he did for my app. He's great. Yeah, he finished with classes and he just has a couple of exams, but he's going to graduate with a 4.0. That's awesome. Which is really unheard of at Georgia Tech. I feel like he and I would have gotten along really well at school. Probably so. It was not something that I had. I did not graduate with a (laughs) 4.0 because I didn't see a value in it. (laughs) C gets the degree. That was my philosophy. You sound just like my mom. That's what she always said. She was like, I decided there was like no point. (laughs) I mean, not not that there's no point, but it was what you just said. (laughs) Yeah. There wasn't a reason. Like with Cal, he started off, we have something in Georgia, the Hope Scholarship, and you have to keep a certain grade point average to keep it. And basically it's pays for your college tuition completely. A hundred percent tuition is paid for. If you have the Zell Miller scholarship, you have to have a certain level of grades to maintain it. And so he went in with the idea of having to keep that high GPA. It wasn't a four Oh, it's a three something. I don't even know, but he knew he had to keep it. So he had a motivation. And so then once he started, he just kept getting A's and then it became a point of pride. I mean, I could have gotten a (laughs) 4.0, but it would have taken a whole lot more work than I put in. It reminds me, I remember one semester in college, because I was in the school of theater in the school of film, and I guess I had the highest GPA for the school of theater. And they had some like crazy, apparently really amazing dinner to award like scholarships to students and 
they forgot to invite me. Like, oh no! Like I was supposed to be there and I wasn't. And I guess one of my other friends got some scholarship and she said they like called my name and I just wasn't there. Because you were not invited. And later they were like, oh, sorry, we forgot to invite you. You can come pick up your certificate. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> that's so sad. That is sad. I like nice dinners. Yeah. <laughs> so good times. Yeah. I did order something really, really random and crazy yesterday. Well, I can't wait to hear what that is. I can't believe I ordered this, but I did. I ordered one of those EMF canopy things. That like protects you from EMFs? Yeah, that you put over your bed. Yeah. And it turns your bed into like the cone of silence from Get Smart. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I don't do a lot of reading about that, but I have done some, I've seen it here and there. And, you know, there are people who talk about all the Wi-Fi around us and having our phones next to us and even the smart meters. So I know there's a train of thought. I mean, I'm not vested enough into it to know if it makes a difference, but there is a certain train of thought in the alternative health community that you need to be cautious about all those things. I'm not sold, but I, you know, there's a lot we don't know. So yeah, so I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, when it comes, I they're pretty expensive. But I was like, okay, it's tax deductible if I talk about it a lot on the podcast, right? And then um, <laughs> for research, and it's an investment in my health. So we'll see. I, I'm really excited for it to come. Well, you should not sleep on a smart bed like me. <laughs> yeah, no, that would not. That would not do well. My bed is like putting EMFs through my body while I'm oh, sleeping. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'm excited to report back. Okay. And uh, see how that goes. All right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. And our first is from Christine. And I love her subject. It is Easter hungry over. Hungry in quotation marks, I guess, instead of hangover, it's a hungry over. Yeah, I I liked that. (laughs) Yeah. She says, hi, ladies. I love the podcast. I am approaching one month of attempting IF. This past weekend was Easter, and I paused my IF windows since most of my family get-togethers were for brunch. I ate all the things all weekend. Monday morning, I got back on my schedule, but OMG, I am so hungry. Is this temporary? It's Tuesday late morning, and my stomach is so rumbly, and I am seriously so hungry, and I try to wait until after work to open my window, eating from about 5 to 8 p.m. I hope I haven't undone all my progress because prior to this, I was not really struggling at all throughout the day. I hope this just takes a few days to get back into the groove. Please help. All right. So Christine, love this email. And I wanted to throw it in here because remember last week I was talking about how I experimented with not fasting and such while moving. And Christine, this was exactly how I felt like so much. It's kind of like once you get back into the daytime eating and eating all the time, you can just feel like you're never going to be able to intermittent fast again. Because like you get back into like the routine of, you know, needing food all the time and your hormones adjust accordingly, your hunger signals adjust accordingly. You get used to just running on food and fasting can just seem like so far away. So I'm right there with you. And I will let you know that it definitely passes. You probably already realized this, although this is a pretty recent email. But no, you haven't undone all your progress. If anything, 
we talked about this last week, you can kind of see it as like, you know, a metabolic boost or, you know, switching things up and maybe making things better in the long term. So yeah, you didn't do anything wrong. I think it can be great for you. You totally can get back on track. I think a lot of it can depend on how well, like how insulin sensitive you are in general. Like for me, I think I err on the side of being not very insulin sensitive. That's why fasting is so wonderful for me personally. I even got like a really, really in-depth blood test done. It had the basic markers and then it had like all the inferred implications and like write-ups from like all these other tests. And it was like, yeah, you basically are insulin. You don't do well with it. It basically told me I was like insulin resistant or that I didn't handle like genetically, I probably didn't handle carbs very well and things like that. So I think especially for people like me, it can be harder to jump back on the fasting train. But once you do get there, you know, you're back in the groove. It's all good. So um, yeah, don't freak out. For any listeners that feel like they fell off the wagon, you didn't fall off the wagon. Like Jen said, there is no wagon. You can get back on if there were one. (laughs) What are your thoughts, Jen? Also, one thing I think that's important to note is that Christine is only one month in. So that could have something to do with it, it being a little harder. For me, a weekend off track is not enough to make it really hard to get back on track. But when you're in early days, like Christine is, it can take longer because she's probably not super fat adapted yet. She may not even have depleted all of her glycogen stores. It just depends on how she's eating. You know, it takes some people three to six weeks. So she may have just gotten to that point or not even quite there yet. And then boom, this weekend happened, which is why people who do a really long daily eating window during the week and then like take all the weekends off, you know, that would be really hard. And I would dare to say they never quite get to that fat adapted state. But once you get there, she's having about a three hour window every day. So once she gets back into the fat adapted state, you can take a weekend off here and there and it's not quite so hard. You might have a little tired time on the first day back on, but not like days and days. Now, the only time I notice an issue is like when I go on a cruise. So when I went on that five-day cruise and also one day before that, we were traveling and I ate a lot more and my windows were long. It took me, you know, two, three days to get back to my normal feeling and I was wanting to have naps in the afternoon. And then I could just tell when I got to the end of that glycogen that I had redeposited in my liver over that vacation, I was back to myself again. So. It does. I think the longer you've been doing intermittent fasting, it it isn't quite so hard to get back into the swing of things for most of us. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, before we go to the next question, I totally forgot about the announcement I was going to make at the beginning. For an upcoming podcast, we are going to bring back Dr. Ken Brown. And we had him on for episode 79. He is the founder of Autrantiel, which a lot of our listeners love. It's a wonderful supplement for helping with especially IBS, SIBO, especially if you have the SIBO, the constipation version, but it's really good for just gut health in general. That episode was really, really popular. He has a wealth of knowledge about the gut microbiome, gut health, fasting, fasting memetics, like that interview was really fascinating. I learned a lot. Did you enjoy that interview, Jen? I did. And I can't believe it was that long ago. I know. I know it was a while ago. But yeah, he's amazing. And he's super encouraging. I remember me feeling so motivated about, especially for people who have IBS and stuff like that. He's just 
really, really, it was just really wonderful to speak with him. So we decided to bring him back on because we've been getting a lot of follow-up questions about Achantia, a lot of listener success stories. But if you have any questions for Dr. Brown, first of all, I'll put links in the show notes to that episode so you can listen to it, get familiar with him, see if there's anything you'd like to ask him specifically. It can be about Achantia, it can be about gut health, it can be about anything really that you think he might be able to speak to. So definitely send us questions for that episode. Just put somewhere in the title, you know, Dr. Kim Brown. You can email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also submit them at ifpodcast.com. So looking forward to that. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day and you will be able to see different is there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher. And it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device. And I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the 
tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt-in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right now back to our show. But back to our questions. So next we have a question from Molly. The subject is exercise, adaptogens. Molly says, hi ladies, currently working my way through your podcast and have been sharing them with friends. Love all of the information and especially appreciate the study references and historical context of dieting fats. I've been doing IF for a little over a month now, but recently started to clean fast thanks to you. And I'm hoping to see more rapid results. I haven't really experienced any changes thus far, but I'm sold on the benefits and committed to it. I have two questions. Number one, let me preface by saying, I know you advocate doing whatever feels right for you because everyone is individual, but have you done any research on which types of exercise are most effective during certain phases of fasting or the eating window? E.g. is light cardio like walking better during an eating window and resistance training or intense cardio better while fasting? Does it make a difference if certain exercises are done earlier in a fast, mid-fast, right before breaking the fast, mid-eating window, end-of-eating window, etc.? For reference, I'm fairly fit already, but my goal would be to lose some stubborn fat and tone up. I'm not trying to build massive muscles. So let's go ahead and answer that question. So timing of different types of exercise while fasting or eating. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think that, again, I know she probably knows what Jen's going to say. Do what feels right for you. Because really, you know, when is it convenient for you to work out? When is it convenient for you to eat? I think that we're much better served to structure our day around what works for you as far as timing. Like, for example, even if they told me it was better to work out right after eating a meal, I wouldn't because it wouldn't feel right to me because I would feel really heavy. Of course, they probably wouldn't say that. It probably would not be the best time to do cardio. We know that. But, you know, I enjoy taking a light walk after I eat sometimes, but I wouldn't want to do anything heavy. Now, if you're really trying to tap into fat, I think the later you are in the fasted state, you know, your body's already in that fat burning mode. I feel like that would be the time to really tap into your fat. You know, if we're going from a scientific, what is the best time to do this? So that would be my recommendation there. But that may not be the time that it feels right to you. So structure it the way that feels good. So what do you think, Melanie? Yeah. So of course, (laughs) we're going to say do what works for you. I will say, So for muscle building and resistance training, we actually know that doing that while fasting is actually very protective of muscle. So if you're the type that really wants to focus on building muscle or protecting muscle and you're, you know, at all worried about losing muscle while fasting, which you don't have to be worried about, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast, but actually using your muscle while fasting is one way to protect it. Because if you're using that muscle, your body is less likely to like put it really casually. Your body is not going to want to use it 
for fuel if you're, you know, actively stimulating it, especially while fasting. So I actually recommend doing, you know, muscle building, strength training type exercises while fasting. I think we have also talked before about how like refeeding and fueling, you don't have to eat right after muscle type training or something like that in order to rebuild muscle. But I do think a lot of people do do well and they do experience like a heightened anabolic window right after they exercise. So I think some people, you know, might do really well with building muscle and those types of exercises right before they break their fast. Now, her question was about trying to lose stubborn fat and not trying to build muscle. I was going to go through all the different types. Yeah. (laughs) So that's for the muscle building side of things. And then for burning fat, if you want to use exercise specifically to burn fat, I think it's probably best to do it in the fasted state. Like Jen said, you're in the fat burning zone. So that's when you're really going to be using that fat. So it's prime time for burning the fat. I think especially near the end of your fast, if you really want to tap into, you know, those more stubborn stores, like the longer you are into your fast, the more fatty acids you've upregulated and the more likely you are to burn some of that fat that might've been a little bit stubborn. So I think near the end of your fast, if fat burning is your goal, is a good way to go. Of course, some people, you know, like to walk, like you said, Jen, you know, nice walk after dinner. We do know that that can probably help with like insulin sensitivity for a lot of people. So that's also a thing. Honestly, though, probably the best time is just when you're going to do it because we know how beneficial physical activity is. So whenever it feels right to you, I think it's better rather than fixate on the timing of it is just when are you most likely to do it consistently in your life? Right. And going with that. So... Her second question, she says, and now for something completely different, I typically like to add adaptogens like ashwagandha or reishi to my black coffee. They're not sweet, actually quite bitter, but the coffee generally masks the flavor anyway. I have not been adding them recently for fear they might dirty up my clean fast, but would love to add them back in. Thoughts? Does this make my fast unclean? P.S. Because I know you'll do your research. I know there is not a lot of scientific research on the long-term effect on humans, but I have had a good experience. And yes, I do use an organic high quality version. Thank you so much for the podcast. and I look forward to your response. All right, adaptogens and breaking the fast. Yeah, that's a great question. We talk so much, just like she said, about, you know, wanting to avoid a sweet flavor during the fast. And so these taste bitter and that makes them less likely to be a problem. And also she says the coffee generally masks the flavor. So really, I think at this point, it would matter what was the carrier? What are they in? Like, what's the liquid? You know, that might break the fast. It's hard to know because we don't know what all the ingredients are. I'm going to be honest. This is one of those when in doubt, leave it out moments that I would say. I would maybe use it to open your window or save it for your eating window in some way or another just to be safe because, you know, we don't know. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, so... I will say I personally take ashwagandha in a pill form. It's just the pure ashwagandha powder in a pill. And I often take it in my fast and I don't sweat it. I've become less and less super concerned or fixated on breaking the fast versus not breaking the fast with things like this, with the exception of like amino acids, I think are a clear no, which we have a question. It might be this episode might be an upcoming episode similar. So that'll come up. I've, stopped stressing as much with things like this. That said, I things like sweeteners, no. So like things that you can taste and things like that, no. 
I am finding it interesting to experiment with things like adaptogens. So I don't stress so much, but I do like what Jen said about, you know, what is it with? What's the form? For me, I actually prefer tinctures, even though I know those are often made with, well, not the tincture. It's crazy because not the tinctures made with glycerin because those are really sweet. So I actually get the tinctures made with alcohol, which I know that seems like that would really break the fast. But then there's the whole debate about, you know, does alcohol actually, it might actually perpetuate ketosis in a way. So I don't know. It's a lot of gray waters. It's a lot of muddy waters. If you want to be safe, I would say make sure you have a lot of fasting under your belt so you really know what a clean fast feels like. You can know if it's affecting you. Feel free to experiment, see how it affects things from there. But when you can, if it is something that can be taken with food, just err on the side of, quote, safety. Take it in your eating window and just avoid the problem entirely. I do think a way to go, though, since she, I think adding it to her black coffee, I think that would actually be like one of the, quote, safer ways to ingest something like this because you're getting it with something that's stimulating fat burning and stimulating autophagy at the same time. So I think that would be almost safer than just taking it straight up by itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I definitely agree that you want to know what the clean fast feels like before you experiment with something like this, because, you know, you don't realize how it affects you if you haven't gotten used to the clean fast feeling. But once you have that feeling, you'll know. Exactly. All right. Shall we move on to Ashley's question? Sure. And I love this one because I just interviewed a vegan for intermittent fasting stories recently. Oh, yay. That helps me answer this one. (laughs) So the subject is vegan and IF. She says, hi, ladies. I have been listening to your podcast since day one and love it. Keep up the great work. I decided to commit to IF for weight I was trying to lose before my wedding. It's been three months on IF. I do 16-8 and I have lost 10 pounds. I absolutely love this lifestyle and want to keep going. I know you ladies have talked about paleo eating habits. But what are your thoughts on vegan while IF? I have tried going vegan once before, but couldn't keep it consistent. Would a vegan diet plus IF have double the benefits slash results? I would love to know what you ladies think of an all plant-based slash vegan diet. And if you have tried it before, I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. All right. So this question actually reminded me of something I wanted to talk about at the beginning. Jen, can we have a tangent? Yeah. That will relate because I started, I'm almost done with my most recent audiobook that I'm listening to on Audible. And I really want you to listen to it, Jen. So bad. Well, it depends. What is it? So bad. <laughs> is it going to teach me not to eat stuff? No. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me what it is. I think we would like love it. It's like totally okay. up your alley, but you're not going to want to listen to it because of this guy's prior work. All right. Well, what is it? I've got to know. Do you want to guess? Do you want to guess? I mean, I'm guessing it's the plant paradox guy. You're so good. (laughs) Do you know what his new book is? I was wrong. Please eat plants. No, he loves plants. He like adores plants. That's why I want you to listen to it. What's his new book? The Longevity Paradox. Okay. And so basically I'm almost done with it. It's all about like eating for longevity, obviously. He's like hardcore plants. <laughs> like Jen. Well, first of all, the reason I want you to listen to it, and I think you'd really like it, is because his whole thesis is basically the gut microbiome 
And like what we eat affects our gut microbiome and that he calls them our gut buddies. It's so cute. I'm listening to the audio. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Yes. And he's very, very hardcore plants. Hardcore. Like he wants, I don't know, it's a very plant-based diet. It's actually a, an extremely low, very, very low animal protein diet, if anything. And yeah, so I'm really fascinated by it. And I would actually love, I think, Jen, I know I never could convince you to listen to The Plant Paradox, but if you would consider listening to this one, I would actually love to have a conversation with you about it. Well, I might. I am going to be driving home in a couple of days. I might listen to it. I'll look it up and see what I think. Perfect. And he only very, very briefly references the whole like, plant paradox lectins thing, but I think it adds a nice nuanced picture. I don't want to go into a whole tangent on it, but the reason I um, brought it up is because I feel like all the books that are, I don't know, recently coming out, even the keto-based ones are all very, very going this route of being plant-based. And I, cause I'm looking at like all these books I've been reading recently and I'm like, what's the common trend here? And oftentimes it's the plant-based aspect. There's Dr. Longo's The Longevity Diet. That's very plant-based. I recently listened to Dr. Axe's keto diet book. It was a very plant-based keto. We had Dr. Anna Kabeca's on about the keto green diet. Hers was very plant-based. Even the medical medium stuff, all of his stuff is very plant-based. But basically it's just really interesting reading all these books and a lot of them are, you know, have different ideas about what's the ideal diet, but a common trend, at least recently is this idea of, you know, a plant-based, not necessarily vegan, but very much in that route. And can I jump in? Mm -hmm. And I was going to say also the carnivore movement, which is the complete opposite, but yes. The blue zones research is very heavily plant-based. You know, the people in the blue zones eat a lot of plants and Michael Pollan has a saying that I love. I'm going to try to paraphrase it and I'm not going to get it right. It's eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And I can't remember the order of those three things, but. Yeah, exactly. Although I will say just to throw it out there in like the blue zones, only one of those societies is completely vegan. And that is the Loma Linda in California. All the rest do include some sort of animal. Oh, yeah, they do, but they're mostly plant-based. Right, exactly. That's the thing. They're, they're mostly plant-based. They have meat as the word I think that he uses is use it as a condiment instead of like the centerpiece of your meal. Exactly. And I could go on a huge tangent about this because some people say that the problems are coming from the animal protein. Some people are saying it's actually the types of amino acids within that protein. So, you know, methionine, cysteine versus different forms that are less inflammatory. Some people are saying, no, it's just the people who eat meat are, it's correlational, not causational because people who eat meat are eating, you know, more processed more, you know, unhealthy diets or not following healthy lifestyle practices. So it's like a user bias. Then Dr. Gundry, he actually thinks it's not about the protein and the longevity thing as it is as much as the animal products being paired with a detrimental form of saturated fat and things like that. So, and how it affects the gut microbiome. So literally we don't know. It's all over the place. My point is we do know that for a lot of people, it's very healthy and it suits them to, you know, be plant-based, if not vegan. Although we can go on a huge tangent about veganism and what you might be lacking. But the point is to answer Ashley's question. <laughs> she says, would a vegan diet plus IF have double the benefits slash results? I think the answer could be yes. It could be no, because it's going to be very, very individual. I think some people whose bodies works really well for veganism, if it suits your body and promotes health, then I think coupling that with IF would be fantastic. You know, in Dr. Gundry's new book, The Longevity Paradox, Ojin, oh, he has 
a ton of stuff on intermittent fasting in that book. Yeah, that's another reason I think you would like it. He's a hardcore fan, hardcore fan. He talks about it a lot. So I want to get him on my new podcast. (laughs) That's a goal. So yeah, so I think if veganism is a dietary lifestyle that suits you, I think coupling it with IF could be fantastic. Then again, I think some people, veganism is not the type of dietary approach that best suits their body, you know, in general or at a certain time. And they, you know, might crash and burn doing veganism and IF. It might not be enough to fuel their body. So I think you really have to just see what works for you and not see it as like, one is better than the other or one's right or one's wrong. It's really just about finding what's worked for you as of have you tried it before? My spirit inside wants to be vegan, I think. But every time I try, I just, I feel like I'm lacking something. My body feels like it's lacking something. And I think I do better with more animal protein. So um, not saying that's forever, but that's where I am right now. Jen, what are your thoughts? Well, as I mentioned, when I was reading the question, I just did an interview with someone for intermittent fasting stories who is a vegan. So y'all need to listen to that episode. I can't remember what episode number it will be. It'll be coming up after this one, I think. So keep on the lookout. You won't be able to hear it till after this podcast is released because it's a few weeks ahead on that one. But when that episode does come out, her name is Leah and she has struggled with her weight her entire life and has eaten lots of different ways. And finally, found results through, she does McDougal's starch solution, which is also very low fat and low oil. And she's a vegan. And so eating that way, she finally has been able to lose the weight that has plagued her for decades, like 60 years. I think she struggled with her weight. She's like 70, I think is her age. And so she's finally been able to lose the weight. And then when she also added intermittent fasting, she was able to lose down to her ideal weight for the first time in her adult life, and then effortlessly keep it off. So her body is very well suited to this way of eating. It works perfectly for her. She feels good. She's happy. She's healthy. She's finally at her ideal weight for the first time ever. So Leah would tell you, yes, a vegan diet plus IF is what was her magic solution. So I say try it, Ashley, and pay attention to how you feel. Personally, I do need more... I know I need, you know, the animal products. I could be a vegetarian probably, but I don't know that I could be vegan. I My body feels better with the animal proteins, like Melanie said, with the dairy, especially. I do great with dairy and, and dairy fats. But try it and see, you know, and you don't have to go all the way vegan. Try vegetarian and be, you know, plant-based in that regard, but not 100% plant-based. Just see what feels good to you. Yeah. And I think that's one reason. I think another aspect of it, and this again would be a whole tangent, but I think certain plants for certain people might be better than other plants for other people based on gut microbiome, based on, I'm even going to say, you know, based on things like how people react to lectins. And I think something like that is something that, for example, Dr. Gundry really, you know, takes into consideration that certain plants might work for certain people and not for others. So yeah, it's just, I get so like, not annoyed because I don't like the idea of being annoyed because that's like not a pleasant feeling, but I don't know. I don't like the idea of, you know, people think there's one right diet or one right way to be when there's so many different potential diets that could be wonderful. I'm often reminded, do you remember, you know, Jen, when we had Wade Lightheart on from Bioptimizers? Yeah. I love him because his partner has a completely opposite diet as his. Oh yeah, 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 true. Because he's vegan or vegetarian, one of those, and then his partner is keto 
But I remember he said at one point, a quote has like stuck with me. He said, I'd like to think that I could excel on any diet or something like that. (laughs) And I thought that was like a really wonderful perspective because the way he was seeing it was he could make almost any food work for him and his gut microbiome and everything. But yeah, so there's no, not one right answer, but definitely Ashley, I know you said you've tried going vegan, but you couldn't keep it consistent. Let us know if you do try it and it does work for you. Might be just a matter of finding the right type or supplementing or, you know, with some nutrients you might be missing, but I really can't wait to start my new podcast so I can have a podcast just on this topic because I could talk about this for like hours. (laughs) Oh, and Jen, I just thought of yet another book that is also plant-based. And that was, we talked about, you know, Mercola, his upcoming book, I think, which is also, it's a keto approach, but I think it's also plant-based as well. I just thought of that. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I could go on so many tangents. I personally wonder if it's about, I think it might have to do with the amino acids stimulating as far as longevity goes. My current theory is that it has to do with certain amino acids being really growth promoting. Oh, then you do need to read Fung's new book. I'm partway through it. Oh, is it about? Yes. He talks about protein in depth, like, like so in depth, like giant in depth. <laughs> you will love it then. You've got to read it. He wrote it with, I can think of the other doctor's name, the one he wrote, the salt fix. Oh yeah. Dr. Nick um, something, something. Yeah. I can't remember his last name, but they wrote it together. Yeah. Cause I think it's really complicated. I think it's, I mean, I don't know, but I, my two main thoughts is that it's one has to do with the protein, the amino acids and the, the growth stimulating potential of certain proteins. And especially if you're having them constantly throughout the day, that's very growth promoting. Whereas I think if you're having protein and like an intermittent fasting type pattern, I think that you could possibly get best of both worlds in a way. So that's a whole tangent. And then I also do think a huge part of it though is causation correlation because I think people who are following, you know, plant-based diets are in general doing healthier dietary approaches because in general, people who are vegetarian and vegan are, you know, they're doing other approaches as well. They're being conscious of their food intake. They're doing exercise, they're doing things like that. Whereas people who are high meat eaters are often just following standard American diet and might not be as conscious of other lifestyle choices. So tangents. Yeah, I just know that the higher percentage of plants I eat overall, the better I feel for the most part. Now, sometimes I just really crave a burger and I just need some meat. But mostly I feel great and full and satisfied when I have a lot of plants. Exactly. If we're listening to our bodies, then we would listen to that. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if I eat a ton of potato chips, I don't feel great. Like a big bag of potato chips. Me neither. And then I could see on the flip side by that same argument how something like carnivore could be longevity promoting because if you're not taking in any plant compounds that might be stimulating inflammation for, you know, if somebody's immune system is, you know, reactive to certain plants, if they're completely limiting inflammation from that. And then if because carnivore often creates, I feel like most people who do carnivore, they often find they're not eating constantly throughout the day and they often gravitate towards like an IF type pattern. So I could see how doing, you know, carnivore with like an IF type pattern could also in theory promote longevity. Who knows? So much there, so much we could tackle. But yeah, back to our questions. So our next question comes from Jill. The subject is closing out your fast. And Jill says, hi, I've been listening to your podcast and I've loved it as it is very informative to me being new to IF. I've been doing IF for a short while and I've heard that you need to have your last meal two hours before bedtime. I'm trying to push my eating hours from 5 to 9 p.m. because I love a glass of red wine before bed. 
Do you suggest closing your window a few hours before bedtime? Thank you. Okay, Jill. So this question, we had the whole tangent that I've been talking about with everybody saying, you know, plant-based, low animal protein. This is another thing I keep seeing from all the people and and that it's, you know, you shouldn't eat right before bed. And I know this is going to be an interesting topic because I know Jen and I are both late night eaters. I'm a really late night eater and I do seem to do better eating really late. So this is definitely a very interesting topic to tackle. Jen, what are your thoughts? I just have to say, I've said it before, there's one study that people tend to always talk about when they're talking about intermittent fasting with an early morning window is better. And the study that everyone bases that on is not comparing an early morning window to an evening window. So you can't draw that conclusion. It found that the early morning window was better than the eating all day pattern. But I think we knew that anyway. (laughs) So I would like to see a study before I'm going to say yes. I believe that it's better to have an early window. I would like to see a study where all things are the same except for window timing. I mean, and I mean, everything needs to be the same except for when they're eating. And I have not seen that one yet. If it exists, someone pointed out to me, I'd like to see it. I mean, there are like what thousands, millions of studies. How many studies do you reckon there are, Melanie? On? Oh, on just in general of all the oh. studies. There's so many. So yeah. Anyway, so that's, my caveat to that. A lot of this recommendation, and you know, then people hear the recommendation and they're like, oh, well, such and such scientists said it's best to have a morning window because of research. And then it just keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated. And really the study it's based on didn't compare two different eating windows with all else being the same. And so kind of like breakfast being the most important meal of the day and all this other conventional wisdom stuff that we quote know to be true, You know, they, quote, always say, have your last meal two hours before bedtime. Why do they say that? What's that based on? Is it just something that's been repeated over and over? Now, as far as when you should not eat right before bed, if you find that eating right before bed makes it hard for you to sleep and you have acid reflux that keeps you awake, then please do not eat right before bed. That isn't working well for your body. But I'm not sold on you know, a certain time being better than another time. That's what I have to say about that. So I suggest that if you like to have a glass of red wine before bed and you feel great when doing that, then do it. Yeah, I think there's a lot here, but I think there are three things to keep in mind about this. And I will talk about each of them and address them. So the first one is what Jen just talked about just as far as digestion goes, if eating right before bed creates, you know, digestive issues while you're sleeping, I think hands down, that would be a reason for you to eat earlier. I mean, that just makes sense sensibly. (laughs) So not much to say beyond that. A second thing, it's often purported that we shouldn't eat late because we are quote, more insulin sensitive during the day. And that's often thrown around I do wonder though, and I talked about this before, and nobody ever seems to say this, but I do wonder if that's just because when you wake up and have breakfast, you're in a fasted state, so you're insulin sensitive. So by that logic, you would still be insulin sensitive at night if you continued your fast, you know? Yeah, I guess it depends on is the insulin sensitivity due to the fact that you're in the morning fasted state or is it a strict time thing? Is it circadian? Right. Is it circadian? Is it due to the sun and sunlight and melatonin and things like that? Or is it due to the fasted state? So 
I guess I would need to research that further. Third thing, and this is the one though that does, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like all the people are like, you need to eat early. I mean, not necessarily earlier, but um, you know, they have this idea of not eating right before bed. But I just, so I don't know. I keep trying to like do that. It just doesn't work for me. It just does not work for me. Oh yeah, me neither. I did it yesterday and it was awful. And it was actually fabulous. And I would do it again because it was a great day. But I was at the outlet mall here at the beach and there was a haagen ice cream place. It was like 2.30. I'm like, I'm going to have ice cream now. <laughs> so I had ice cream at 2.30. It was like a Sunday with, it was a banana split Sunday. So it had strawberries and pineapple and bananas and vanilla ice cream, and a little hot fudge. And that is how I opened my window, which is not typical for me. But then I had dinner and my window was closed by 4.30. Yeah. And then I was so full and satisfied. And then at 9.30, I was about ready to go to bed because I'm an early to bed, early to rise person. I wake up at 5, 5.30 in the morning. So I go to bed, you know, by 10 most nights. So at about 9.30, I was like starving and mad. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, I'm not going to eat now because I'm literally right about to get in the bed. But I was like, but I am so hungry. No, same here. And like every time I tried, especially when I was moving and I tried all my daytime eating experiments, which were mostly fails. But um, every time I tried them, I'd be like, okay, today's the day. I'm having a day window. I'm having an early window. I'm going to go to bed on an empty stomach tonight. I'm going to do what they say, you know, like early eating, go to bed empty stomach, rock the world. And then come nighttime, I'd be like, I can't, like, no, I can't go to bed. That's the way I felt. I was like, (laughs) this feels wrong. It felt wrong for my body. So not once, not once did I go to bed on empty stomach. I always end up having like some fruit or something, which I found actually worked well. Well, I didn't. I pushed myself through. I was like, I'm not going to eat right now because I feel like I shouldn't have a meal right now and then go straight to bed immediately. I just didn't, that didn't feel right either. So it was like lesser of two evils. Yeah. And I don't have any fruit because I'm here at the beach. So I could have had cheese. All I had was like cheese. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did find like fruit on empty stomach seemed to work well for me for going to bed. I feel like fruit is sort of cleansing, you know, and stimulates the lymph system and everything, which, cause that brings me to my third point that I was going to say is people say not to eat right poor bed. And Dr. Gundry just talked about this in his book and it was in some of the other books, but the whole glymphatic system argument, because they say that while you're sleeping is when the glymphatic system in your brain fluid washes through your brain and how, if you have food, if you're in like the fed state that that can interfere with that process. So that's one of the reasons I do feel like more inclined that I feel like maybe I should be not eating right before bed. But then I wonder if maybe something like, you know, like I said, the light fruit, which is cleansing in and of itself, if that could support that as well. I don't know. Need to research all of it. Well, here's something that, you know, you just go back to like common sense <laughs> and let's think. Think back to how people used to just eat when no one told them how to eat, like, all these rules. And, like, if you said circadian rhythm, they would punch you in the face because they didn't even know what that was. They were just living their lives and eating and trying not to die, right, back, you know, a thousand years ago. What do you think people probably did? They probably ate their big meal at night and then went to bed. Yeah, and if there was some fruit around, they probably would have eaten the fruit. (laughs) Yeah, they were not, like eating a morning meal and then going about their day and not eating again. That's not how people ever chose to live their life in any kind of population of the world. Right. Yeah. And even like in Europe, there are a lot more like late night eaters, you know, they eat like dinner at 10 PM and Spain. Yeah. It used to drive me crazy. Cause we used to go to Europe 
because we have family in Germany. So we go to Europe every summer. And now we actually have an apartment there. Now I would love it. But when I was little, it drove me crazy because we'd go to dinner. We'd get there at like 8 p.m.-ish. And you would be there till, you know, 11 with like all the people, like every night. That was just what you did. Here's what I think. I think that late night eating is bad if you also wake up and start eating early. And so you're eating for 18 hours straight. Exactly. That's probably bad. It's probably bad to eat breakfast as soon as your feet hit the floor, nonstop eat all day long, and then continue eating late into the evening. And so because, of course, we all know breakfast was the most important meal of the day, that meant you had to stop eating at night. But if you just shift it, you know, that's totally a different thing. Yep. With intermittent fasting, it's just so different. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's what's not taken into account with all these studies is they're not looking at nighttime eating with that being the only eating. Right. They're looking at it as nighttime eating with daytime eating. (laughs) I've never seen that study. So maybe there's one out there and I just haven't seen it. If anybody has that study, send it to me. I would like to read it. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. I don't think we have time for any other questions, but if you do have questions, like I said, for Dr. Brown, definitely send us our way. Those would be gut microbiome type questions related. And if you like to submit your own questions in general, like I said, you can email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there at that website. That's where we have our show notes. So we'll put links to any studies that we referenced, any notes. Those will all be there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all the stuff that we like. Maybe if I end up liking my crazy EMF canopy, (laughs) I will put it on there. I'm trying to picture that. Yep. It's going to be interesting. Oh, I also ordered a um, tangent. I also ordered not a treadmill desk, but like a, it's a treadmill that, is made to put under any desk. So it doesn't have like, it doesn't stand up tall. A desk attached. It's basically just the bottom part of a treadmill. Interesting. I feel like I would fall off of that. I don't know why. Like, do you have to hold onto your desk? Well, I mean, it only goes like two miles per hour. Okay. It's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, well, good. You know, I was thinking while you were talking, I sure do wish that, you know, like, I would like to help plan some studies. You know, I've got a lot of ideas for some studies they should do. <laughs> and this might sound really stupid, but because I have my my science fair background with elementary science, I mean, controlling those variables is really the key to the scientific method. And that's why it's so hard to have good human scientific studies. But, you know, you can read a lot of these studies and you're like, yep, they didn't control that variable. And I would just like to give them some advice on studies I'd like to see. Wouldn't you? No, I really would. I really would. It's funny. I'll read the studies and I feel like half the time I read it and I'm just, it's really frustrating because you read it. And you see the flaw. You see it immediately. You read the abstract, you read the conclusion, you're like, okay. And then you read the actual study. You're like, uh, that, that's no. And that's not even, yeah, that's not what they did. Yeah. It's like, and especially with diet, it's so hard with, it's literally impossible to control diet studies and compare them equally because especially like if you're looking at between macro, you can't change one thing without changing other things. And so then that's a whole different variable. But I remember one I read one time and I actually read it to fourth graders when we were studying our science fair. I didn't read the whole study to them, but they compared like, I can't remember a group that ate one way 
and counted calories and a group that ate another way and counted calories and a group that ate a third way and ate as much as they wanted. And I'm like, you can't compare those three groups. Wait, sorry, a group that, so say it again. They were two different, I can't remember it completely. It's been years, but there were two different groups that each ate a different, well, actually three groups. There were three groups. Two of them ate, you know, different eating patterns and counted their calories. And a third group had a different eating pattern, but they were able to eat whatever they wanted. And the conclusions were one of those was better. I can't remember what it was, but I'm like, you can't conclude one of those was better because they didn't all control what they were eating the same way. But fourth graders were able to pick up on that is my point. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, that's not good. And I'm like, yes, children, thank you. Or even small things like I was researching a study for a question we we didn't get to today, but I was reading a study and they were comparing a high protein diet, a high carb diet and a high fat diet with fasting to see which meal as a prep meal would lead to less hunger the next day. They were looking at actually in Ramadan. So like if you did like a nighttime eating window of one of these, I don't even know if it was nighttime, but if you did an eating window with one of these type of meals and then you fasted, which one would make you less hungry? It's even small little things because they noted in the study, because the conclusion was that the high protein meal actually made the people hungrier the next day or while fasting. But they noted, even if it's really small things like this, they noted that people who ate the high fat meal and people who ate the high carb meal had no problem finishing it. But the people who ate the protein meal, they had trouble finishing it, but they had to finish it. They were like forced to eat all of it. And it's like, even a little factor like that, it might be that maybe if you did a high protein meal and you weren't forced to finish it, you might've eaten less. And that might've been better. That might've been the factor that made you hungry. You know, it might've been because they overate the protein that it created this, you know, compensatory mechanism that made them more hungry. You know, like we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. That's, it's so hard to make a decision based on that. I mean, I don't know. I'm saying I have no idea, but that could have been the thing. You know, that could have been the reason they were hungry. Not, might not even had to have done with the protein. It could have been because they were forced to eat, you know, more. Yeah, it's crazy. Studies. Maybe we'll get to that question in the next episode and I'll be able to talk about that study more. But yeah, some other things for listeners before we go. We are a Himalaya partnered show. If you um, follow us in Himalaya, you will get our episodes downloaded 24 hours in advance. They are released on there early, which is awesome. And also, if you follow my playlist, it's called Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like in the Himalaya app. You can follow that. And I, that's where I put links to all the random podcasts I listen to all the time because I listen to so many podcasts and it's episodes that I like. Jen, have you followed that yet? I have not followed that yet because I never listen to podcasts, but I need to follow it. Oh, right. Could you actually, this is super random. So because I created it, I can't actually see how many people are following it. Oh, could I see it if I'm... I'm just like super curious. I mean, there might be like nobody following it. It might be like five people, but I am curious. Can you let me know how many people are following it? Yeah, I'll try to see. I do have the Himalaya app. I do have that. But oh, I so yeah. So you could pull any. it up. You could pull it up yeah. in the app. I love the Himalaya app. It's life-changing. But this has been absolutely amazing. And anything else from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. 
Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.